You're listening to Kiss My Aesthetic, your go-to podcast for bragworthy branding, marketing, and entrepreneurship advice. I'm your host, Michelle Winterstein of MKW Creative Co. Let's dive into the episode. Greetings and welcome back to the Kiss My Aesthetic podcast. We have first-time guests, but money expert. She is your guru. We're going to talk all things cash. We're going to talk AI. Welcome to the podcast, Shay. Hello, hello. I'm so happy to be here. We're so happy to have you. For anyone who doesn't know you yet, you and I have only gotten to know each other a few times, but for anyone who doesn't know you, can you tell us who you are, what you do, and who you help? Of course. I am Shay Bakani. I am the CFO, a financial strategist, as well as the owner of Center Financial, which is a financial management firm for growing businesses and, of course, women in business. So our primary focus is going to always be for women. And really, our core role within a business is to help them retain and sustain their wealth. And we do all of that through financial planning and strategy. I love that. Wow, you've got that down pat. Take us kind of back to the beginning. How did you get started in this field? And what's kind of your come up story to where you are now? Because you have an impressive business and, of course, gorgeous social media and great branding. But you've got so much good information and obviously so much experience doing what you do. Take somebody back to kind of that day one to now. Okay, well, thank you. Coming from the branding queen, I'm like, this is a huge compliment. But I always say like, this is literally something that I fell into. So I first got started in finance and accounting. I was working at a Fortune 500 company. I started off as an admin. I was one of those people, I'm coming to collect my check and I'm leaving. But I was working for a corporation and they were short staffed. So they threw me into accounting and I literally learned the ropes and went to another company that was my sole job is just accounting. I met this woman. She's the CAO of the company, a chief accounting officer, and I fell in love. Her first day working at the company, she's dressed to the nines, heels. She has like this feminine aura about her, and she's the head of the department. And I immediately looked at her and I was like, I'm going to do that. That's what I'm going to be. I reached out to her. It was like her second week. And I was like, I would love to just sit down and like have a coffee chat with you. We talked. She had a liking for me, and she ended up being kind of like a mentor and a sponsor for me. She really just helped me understand accounting, finance, the business space, and how it all ties together. And she introduced me to other executives within the company. So I was able to kind of hop around. I worked a little bit in FP&A, which for those that don't know, that's financial planning and analysis, investor relations, which is basically like PR, but for investors. So if you're a publicly traded company and you have to communicate with the investors, you need like that middleman to do so. So I worked a little bit with that, even some sales commissions and kind of really just that whole sector of accounting and finance to really understand how that all works together. So I was doing that for a little bit. I did that for about six years. And one day I reached out while I still had my job, I reached out to a friend who I knew had a business and I was saying, hey, this is all the things that I do in corporate. I would love to be able to do this for your company. Let me know what you think. And it was literally just through a cold email that I got my first client. She was like, okay, why not? Like it was for her, nothing to lose. And we started working together. And honestly, it was just like, such a beautiful partnership. That's what made me honestly fall in love with working with women because the way we just worked together, it was just in synchrony. It was something that was amazing. So when we first started working together, my business was pretty good. It was like $300,000 a year. So my job isn't necessarily to help grow the money. It was to help organize and manage it. I was like, okay, you know, you're not making that much money. You're not profiting really anything. Mm-hmm. The way you pay your team is a little messy. And so we really got it all together, got all of her books clean, got everything organized and really restructured how her business makes money. Within the first year of working together, her profit skyrocketed. How she did business was just so much more seamless. And 
for her, finance became something that she was like obsessed with. She's like, I love looking at my numbers. And this is someone who was like, that just wasn't her MO at all. And so it was then that I'm like, okay, I'm kind of good at this. Like, I kind of know what I'm doing here. And that's how we started working together. One client led to another. And for, I would say the first two and a half years of the business, it was all just word of mouth. Oh, love that. And then kind of contrast that to where you are now. Obviously, you've got more clients, you've got a bigger brand, you've got all kinds of information and resources available to people. Explain kind of the difference between the, okay, I think I'm good at this. I want to keep going to where you're seeing yourself now. Now, I feel like I want to share a lot of that information online. And before, if you would ask me like it on social media, I'm like, ew, no, like I'm good at the back end. But I started, I swear, it was like one of those things, like an epiphany. I'm just like, I have to tell people this information because I remember after COVID, I kept seeing so many businesses make the wrong move. They're closing down. They're just doing things that we don't know. You're just doing things based on ignorance. And I'm like, no, people need to know this information. So it was right around that time. I was just telling people like, hey, if your business is struggling right now during COVID, here's what you need to be doing. Here's some strategies to literally just get you through this recession. And going forward, here's how you never get yourself in this predicament again. And so it was just going online, kind of sharing that information. And I feel like when it comes to finance, people are automatically a little bit more drawn to it because for the longest time, information in the financial industry has been gatekept, especially in business. Totally. Like personal finance, now you can feel like, and I even think that's a little shysty, but obviously personal finance is like the 401k, save this. Like It's always been open. When it comes to business finance, people are just winging it. And it's like, you cannot expect your business to grow and thrive by just winging it. And so that's why I started to share it. People fell in love with it. I got good at branding. Hello, you know a thing or two about that. And people just kind of like, they caught the vibe. They understood what was going on and they really liked it. And that's where we are now. And now the firm has grown so much. We have a team of four. We manage over $8 million monthly. So it's just constantly growing every day. Super, super impressive. And I will put myself out to roast on this one because I was the person that told my accounting team, like, you know, I just do money based on vibes. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God, I have a post dropping about that today. (laughs) I literally was that person. And like, lucky for me, I have two very entrepreneurial parents and I have mentors and I have leaders in this space. And I like the game of business. I was never really at jeopardy of being this starving artist type and like working for free. But I like the game of like, okay, how much money can I really make? If I sit down and really think about it and I really focus and I really get strategic, like that's a game to me. But as far as like closing at profits and spread, I have never touched a spreadsheet in my life. I'm an art major. Like, no, absolutely not. (laughs) And so I have literally verbatim told my accounting team, be like, yeah, I've just been kind of running my business for nine years on like vibes. (laughs) I would love to hear that conversation. Oh my God, it's so embarrassing because I know there's other people out there that feel that way. And I honestly, like I did all my taxes for myself for the first like seven years, like seven years before I finally was like, okay, no, I need help. I was so embarrassed for anyone to look into my finances, not because the money wasn't there, but because exactly what you're talking about, right? Like so much of that information is gatekept. So much of it is like, it's hard to understand, but like, these are your vitals. These are like your heart rate and your blood pressure and your, all of those numbers that tell you if something is healthy. So like, we can't not look at those things. How do you kind of explain financial management and financial wellness for your business on a big scale to someone who's just paralyzed to work with someone because they're embarrassed? That's so crazy that you say that because that's so many people who they'll reach out to me and be like, I would love to work with you, but I'm so embarrassed. And I'm like, 
it's funny because only women say that. Really? I've worked with a few only, I've worked with a few male clients, right? I don't, like I said, I don't really mention it, but sometimes with my clients, their husbands or just like a network, someone refers someone. So I have worked with a significant amount of male clients and their books could be crap. Like literally stuff is everywhere. Nothing is organized. And they're just like, hey, that's why I hired you just to fix this up. And it's no shame. It's no guilt. Rightfully so. They shouldn't be ashamed. Their mind is on growing the business. But when I work with women, it's like, I'm so embarrassed. Women, we carry guilt and shame with us when it comes to money. And that is our biggest problem and downfall because it's not something you should feel shame or guilty about. Like you said, as a business owner, you are running the business. Finance was not your forte. Why would you know that information? Finance is not taught in schools. Most parents have never ran a business. And if they have, they weren't good at the finances either. So you have to be able to give yourself grace to say, you know what? Finance wasn't my forte. was never taught this. I'm literally just learning as I go, like every other part of the business. And that's not something you should be ashamed about because when you carry that shame and you carry that guilt, that is a negative emotion that you are now carrying around finances. And it shouldn't happen like that. But I find that women, we do that way more often. And I just try to let them know first and foremost, like this is normal. Like you're not supposed to know these things. So I think that's how you start off. It's like giving yourself that grace. Like, hey, you don't know it and that's okay. What finally pushed me over the edge was my dad saying like, you wouldn't fix something wrong in your transmission in your car, would you? Like, you don't know anything about your car. And like, I admittedly know nothing about my car. I have no interest in learning about my car. I am not going to watch the YouTube video. I'm not going to teach myself. I'm not going to go study under a mechanic apprenticeship to know what's going on wrong with my car. He's like, it's the same thing with your taxes. Just like, that's what people get paid to do. Like, let the people do their professional job. Anyway, trust the professionals is the point that I'm getting to here is like hire the people that know how to do the things that you don't know how to do. And still with my mentor and my bookkeeping team, you know, she's working on all of my projections and what business I have to close for the rest of the year and toggling all these things. Like if you get two more branding projects in September and three more in October, then you'll be sitting at this profitability margin. She's like, do you want to just plug the numbers in? And I was like, no. I was like, can you do it? I was like, I will break something. I was like, can you do it and just tell me what the information means? But let's kind of run through like your glossary terms of someone. You've just onboarded a new client. What do you find yourself repeating to them or teaching them just kind of from straight out the gate? Like you should know base what these terms mean and how they impact or tell us information about your business. Oh, I love that because so I launched a masterclass recently called Financial Foundations. And it was literally all of those things. So first and foremost, it's always banking, like how people have their bank account set up. Surprisingly, that's always the thing. And I'm like, hey, we should fix this. So for instance, let's say that you have two sectors of your business, hypothetically, you have the service and the agency side, but you also have like templates, hypothetically, that you have, right? I would always say you need to have two separate bank accounts then, obviously, for the income coming in. That's how sometimes it gets so messy and confusing. You need a credit card. Most people are always so afraid of debt. It's just kind of a bad, scary thing. But I'm like, when it comes to business credit cards, the rewards are just chef's kiss. So much more, especially if you're a business owner, you know you want to travel and all the things, get a business credit card. And then of course, savings. Some people are like, well, I'll just save. Like I just keep my savings in my checking or I just keep it to the side. I'm like, no, that's not how savings works. It needs your own separate account for that. Then in addition to that, a tax account. So obviously I don't lay it all out like that on the first day because they'll kind of get overwhelmed. We kind of make sure we ease it in there. But even a tax account, most of the time that tax bill is the worst thing to come out because you're either paying it quarterly or once a year. And it's so annoying to see all of that money go out. 
So I'm like, if you put it in a tax account, you already know that the money in that account, it does not belong to you. You cannot miss something that you do not have. Yep. And so the first thing is always kind of how the foundation of how your finances is structured. Where is the money coming in? How do you pay yourself? And so sometimes people will just use their business card still, like even multi six figure businesses are using their business card to pay for miscellaneous personal expenses. And the huge issue with that is if I were to sue you today and you say, okay, well, this is my business. Like, you know, it's an LLC, it's an S corp. So there is no liability. So that means you could just sue the business and not me. Well, the moment that you start mixing your business and your personal together, that blurs the line and that officially becomes your bank. And now when I sue you, I can take everything. And so this is a liability issue, even if your business is legally set up. And so I'm like, this is a problem because obviously no one likes to think about that, like getting sued, but you have to think best case scenario that never happens. Worst case scenario, you get wiped out all because you just made that one silly decision. And so that's usually when we first go in, I'm always helping them set that part up. It's like, here's the bank accounts. Here's how this money should go in. Then here's how you're going to start paying yourself. Just those little things and those little details is really what helps make finance so much more seamless. I think the biggest light bulb for me was realizing that I am separate from the entity of my business. Mm -hmm. That it's more like you're in a relationship with a business partner as the business instead of you being the business or the business owning you, but you're equal like co-patriots in this thing, right? And so that there's this give and take between I'm going to provide this to the business, the business is going to provide this to me. And that's an ongoing kind of relationship. I think that really helps me to visualize it. Do you have other little hacks like that or ways to think about separating yourself from your business that make that more digestible for people? I would just say you have to think about business, not in terms of like what we see on social media, because it kind of, when you see it like that, it kind of waters it down. And I hate to say it like that, but I come from corporate and I think anyone that comes from corporate, we kind of already have, I would say kind of an advantage because imagine you go from seeing the shark and a fish tank. So you know how the things are really ran. It doesn't mean that you can do it yourself, but you still have a better understanding versus if you're someone you've only known business, it's a little bit hard because you're like, well, I don't really know how to separate the two because I am the business. And so you have to think that the business, like you said, is its own separate entity. You have a role within that company. You have to pick a role. And I say this all the time. You have to pick a role within your business and just stay there. Now, obviously, in the beginning stages, you're playing that part. You're being everyone. You're the bookkeeper. You're the tax professional. You're everybody. But as the business starts to grow, you have to say, okay, this is the role I want to play. I'm going to either be the CEO. I'm going to be the CMO. I'm going to be the operations. Or I'm going to take a step back and hire everybody else and just kind of collect on profit. Yeah, I'm just going to be the owner. Just be the owner. And there's nothing wrong with that. But you have to understand your role and understand that that's what you are. That's the role that you play. You are essentially a employee of the business. Obviously, you get to reap the benefits of being an owner and all the things. But when you think of it like that, you understand that you don't have to be everything. You can separate it. You can have an off time and it still be successful. Mm-hmm. I think that's such a good lesson. And you've got a great reel on this and something similar of just you can't hire more people for your team if you don't know your numbers and you don't know your profitability because you will be constantly chasing the money to pay the people. It's not going to be fun. (laughs) It's not going to be a good time. Explain that phenomenon a little bit to us. So usually what happens in a business is like when you're first starting out, you price your services a particular way. Typically you saw from competitors or what you think that your ideal client is going to pay for it. And then you start realizing, like, oh my God, I'm so busy. Now I need to go hire someone. You go through the motion, you're hiring people. But as the business is starting to grow, the majority of your money is going to payroll, marketing, advertising, and just the regular operational expenses. But if you were to go take it a step back and say strategically, here's all the people that I want to hire in the business. This is all the people that I'm going to need. 
So you say, I'm going to have to need someone to do the marketing. I want to be on socials. I want to be on Google SEO. This is essentially what my marketing team will look like. This is what my finance team will look like. And then this is what my operations team will look like. The person delivering the products, delivering the service. Once you kind of have that, it's called an org chart, an organizational chart. You can kind of just make it up, obviously. And you can look up what the someone's salary would be on like Glassdoor. This is like public information of the type of roles that you'll need. Now you can go back and say, okay, now this is what my services or my products should be priced at. If I price my services or products with keeping in mind that I'm going to hire all these people, now you no longer just make money just to throw it at expenses. You now make money to be able to keep it and retain it. But most people don't actually take it a step further. When you're first starting, the last thing you're thinking about is like a full organizational chart. You're like, I'm just trying to grow. I'm just trying to make money. But it's like, you're going to do that anyway. Usually the majority of the time when a business shuts down, it's not because they didn't make money. It's because they couldn't keep their money. So that should always be the priority and top of mind as you're scaling and as you're growing. Oh, so good. That's already so helpful because it starts to kind of think about it in a bigger sense. I think it's so easy. We talked about social media and how it can kind of disillusion people or it can make you feel that imposter syndrome or you see someone who has a team, people who see me and say, oh my gosh, you have this great team. You must be doing so well. Like, yeah, but also there's a lot of people who post on social media that aren't giving the full picture, right? And so it's really easy to be distracted by lifestyle or distracted by the promise of, well, I just did this and now I have that. That can kind of cause, I don't know, like chaos within that space and kind of cause you to doubt yourself or cause you to think you're not making enough. I think the biggest example of this we always see is like people talk about their $500,000 launch. And it's like, well, if you spent $450,000 producing the launch, I'm not all that impressed by a $500,000 launch. Like there's a lack of transparency, I guess I'm trying to say. Do you notice this? A hundred percent. And it's so funny because I've worked with business owners who post stuff like that. So I'm excited to work with them. Like I want to reach out. They'll post things about their numbers. Nothing is wrong with that. I get it. Some people post numbers because that's how they're able to sell, you know, their next product, whatever. But I'll go in and I'm like, okay, well, you didn't really make this or you didn't profit at all, really. A lot of these business owners who are preaching how much they made, not all, but a lot aren't making anything. And there was one business owner in particular that I worked with. She was selling a course on like how to make $100,000 in whatever her industry was. And so I'm on the sales call with her and I'm like, okay, so like, tell me how much you made, you know, last month. Oh, I'm not sure. Okay. Like it was still early in the next month. So I'm like, okay, no problem. Tell me about the last quarter. I'm not really like 100% sure. So I'm like, how are you selling a course on how to make 100,000? And you don't even know that's what you really made. Like, I'm sure you made something around that, but how are you selling people this dream that you can be financially successful and you're not? You have no clue what's going on. Her business is in the red. Her business has not been profitable in three years and she's selling courses to people on how to make money. And that's the problem that I have with social media is that so many people are like, here's how to make 10K, 50K. Here's how to make all this money. But I'm like, no one is telling these people how to keep it. No one is telling these people how to take that money and reinvest it and to build their business. No one is taking that money and telling them, okay, even how to sell your business, how to be strategic and do this the right way. And so now we see this influx of people who were thriving during COVID Now they're going into this new era of people because with the rise of AI and things like that, our buying behavior has changed and how we invest has changed. And now these businesses are closing down, they're pivoting. And I'm like, okay, wait, where's all that talk about how to make 10 to 50K now? And so I think that's the problem is that we want the results too bad, but we don't want to do what's actually required to maintain a six-figure or seven-figure business. And I've always grown up on the like grow slow and steady instead of be the overnight success. And I think that that's counterintuitive to a lot of the ways that business is taught in the online space. It's all about like 
cash grab, make as much money as you can, offer this, offer that, this funnel, this email, this downloadable, this course. And those are definitely like for people that want to be educators, it's very lucrative. I don't want to be an educator. (laughs) I just don't. I just want to work for really cool brands and design really cool shit and like help people every once in a while, like show them how I do what I do. And I think that that's, you have to know, like you just said, like you have to define like, what is your role in your business? What are you trying to do? Where are you trying to grow? And if online education is it, then it's it. Awesome. And there's some people that are so good at it, but then there's a lot of people that do it because they feel they have to, or they do it for the cash grab opportunity. And I think that becomes just like so apparent. I think we're seeing that a lot with AI. Yep. Oh yeah. I've been down the rabbit hole with AI. You've been down the rabbit hole with AI. What things get you excited and what things make you kind of cautious about artificial intelligence? I'm going to start with what makes me cautious because that's what's on people's minds is obviously we know like all the movies that we've seen are probably going to happen. They just tell the truth. But I think that's going to be so further down the line. And I think that there's good and bad in everything. Like think about the iPhone. This thing is amazing. The fact that me and you are able to meet and talk to each other and we didn't have to leave the house. This is all thanks to technology or that we're able just to communicate via text and we're able to connect with people around the world. I'm sure you have clients that aren't even in San Diego. This is thanks to technology, but we also have to think about the negative. Most people are more subconscious about themselves, the rise of anxiety and other mental illnesses. We know these things. And of course, AI is going to just triple that into effect. Now, that's what I'm cautious about. But I have to say what I'm excited about because I'm like, I think there's so many good things too. For instance, I just think that a lot of those businesses that were just in here for the cash grab are going to be out of here because I no longer have to invest in a course with you to tell me how to grow a business. You can literally go into chat GPT and say, hey, I want to start a landscaping business that makes $10,000 a month. I'm in this city, this state, this is the weather. Tell me how to do it. And chat GPT can create an entire business plan. Then they can go out and literally start the business for you. This is the marketing platforms. They will create everything for you. So it's, I won't really need as many courses in education now because I kind of have the blueprint. You get what I'm saying? So I think a lot of those businesses who really didn't serve, I hate to say it, really didn't serve any real value to the economical marketplace are no longer going to be here. But the people who have real value, the brand designers, the people who know their stuff, the firms, the agencies, and of course the businesses that have stayed true to their customer and gave people what they wanted, which is value, are still going to be here. Aside from that, I think that it's going to just be an amazing tool, especially I talked about this before with the Apple Vision Pro, the headset. It makes me so excited because I think the way our businesses are going to show up online are going to be completely different. Absolutely. Like the landscape of the business. Even right now, the commercial real estate is plummeting. It's tanking. And a lot of companies like Fortune 500 companies in particular are really scared because they're like, wait, I have 15 and 10 year leases with these massive real estate properties and no one needs to come into the office. And now once I had that Apple Vision Pro, and for those that don't know, it's just like a headset but it's really like a hologram of the phone laid out in simple terms. And now your business, your website, your brand identity, everything and how you show up online is going to be in a form of a hologram and people are going to literally be able to see it in a 3D way. And I think that's going to completely shape how people engage with the business. And so also when it comes to like making money, I think you can make triple the amount because now there's no capacity. So before I'm always limited to how many clients I can take or how many clients my team can take. Now there's going to be a point where I can program my avatar with my brain, my thinking, my processes and say, okay, when someone comes in here to do a consultation and this is what we're going to say, this is how you're going to think. And they'll be able to do that whether you're there or not. And so I think this is going to catapult businesses, but of course, this is going to hurt those that don't adapt fast enough. 
I think it's the thing that people get scared of, of technology taking over and they go doomsday and they go, this is going to be terrible for mental health and for development and community and relationship building. I just have to remind them that for like, as fast as the technology grows, so do these other areas. Like it's not all one, all the other. Like we saw during COVID, everyone's locked in their house, but now we can all communicate in this different modality. So think about what you're talking about. The user experience of searching for a pair of heels to wear to a wedding on Nordstrom's website, regardless of how many filters you put in, is not intuitive. You're just scrolling for 87 pages of clear nude heels. Like, I don't want to do that as a consumer. I want to walk into Nordstrom's, talk to a sales associate, say, I like this style, this heel height. I'm wearing this kind of dress. I'm going to this kind of wedding. It's going to be in the grass. I know I need a block heel. Can you find some for me that fit these parameters? And I want to talk to a person and think of that experience now with this headset of like what we're bringing back is the humanity aspect to tech where you can create those relationships, whether it's an AI bot or not, or an actual person on the other line that's embodying an avatar to have that experience and to be able to see their whole catalog and the sustainability aspect of it. We don't have to keep the lights on at Nordstrom. We don't have to put the air conditioning on. We don't have to carry all this inventory and create so much waste. We can just produce the shoes when you order them. Yep. Mm -hmm. And instead of trying to keep everything in stock, now we've absolutely reduced our carbon footprint. We've made it better for the planet. Like there's just infinite amounts of possibilities of how this could be better. So I think for anybody that's like, oh my gosh, I'm not going to use it. That's like AI sounds terrible. Opening up and going just even five years in the future, 10 years in the future as a creative exercise and thinking about the applications of these things, I have a lot of fun with personally. Same. Yeah, it's such an interesting place. How in a financial way can we leverage AI? Because the other thing people are afraid of is about the technology like misusing people's personal information. So you gave the example of like, if you want to start a landscaping business that makes $10,000 a month, could you hypothetically give something like ChatGPT you probably wouldn't ever recommend that you give them your actual financials. No. <laughs> <laughs> or your bank information. <laughs> That's funny you say that because so there is actually a lot of software right now where, so AI is going to be embedded in our banks. It's going to be embedded into like the different financial management apps. But when it comes to data and data security, data security is becoming a multi-billion dollar business and it's only growing. So if anyone wants to know what business to get into, it's going to be data security and data mining. So when it comes to that, I think data is just going to be much more sacred. Like right now, how we share with all these social media platforms, there's going to be a third party that now guards our data and protects it. Kind of like it's like our medical records. There was a book I was reading. I think it's called AI 2041. I highly recommend anyone read it. It's from an engineer and he talks about how AI will kind of shape our lives in the future. And in the book, there was a story and data was being protected through a third party. And it was super sacred. Like if you wanted to share your data with an app, it was something that you really like thought about, like you had to sit and think about like, oh my God, do I want to share my data? Like it's not as easy as like, hey, Facebook is taking your data and you're kind of just still strolling on the app. It's something that's going to be much more sacred because everything will now be in our phones. Everything will now be in some type of technology device. And so those companies that are in charge of protecting it, we're going to pay them probably like some sort of subscription per month. Even same with businesses. Like now every business is going to have to have an IT and a security department, cybersecurity department, not just like these major Fortune 500 companies. All of us are going to have to have that to be able to protect our data because that's how sacred and how serious this is going to get because everything that we're going to do and all the personal information is going to be online. But when it comes to a financial perspective of like, how can you use and leverage AI to really grow your business? 
I think it starts with like, you can't just go in there, dumb, like, hey, start my business for me because ChatGPT and all these AI softwares, it's all in how you prompt it. So the more information you give, the better. So you can say something like, here's three successful landscaping businesses here in San Diego. Here's the copy from their website. Tell me what's their brand vibe. Tell me what kind of customers or clients that they are attracting using this copy. Here's their Instagram. Eventually, it's going to be able to connect to like Instagram. Tell me a little bit about which posts are performing the best and why. Tell me about where all their customers are coming in, which there's softwares that do that now where you can put a URL link and it'll tell you where all their traffic is coming from. It'll tell you how much money is getting spent on that website. So you'll be able to pull all that data and say, here's all this information. Now, literally make me a business just as good that caters to this customer. And that's how easy and fast it's going to be. Obviously, you have to go in and do the work. But to say, I don't have the answers or I don't know, I didn't have the blueprint is just no longer going to be an excuse. No, of course not. And I think about that with like the next generation of kids, right? I don't particularly want my kids someday, should I have them, to spend 14 hours in the stacks of a library trying to read through books when they have the access to the whole of the internet at their fingers. Like, I don't really care if you use ChatGPT to write your research paper, because if anything, you still had to write the kind of quality questions, right? And I was talking with my sister about this the other day, and she said, yeah, that's like in high school when we were told freshman year we had to write a how-to paper. And so my sister wrote her how-to paper, how to write a how-to paper, and just turned in her notes. (laughs) And she literally just handed over her notes to her teacher, and she's like, here, I did it. And the teacher, like my parents thought it was the most hilarious thing, but the teacher's like, well, that's cheating. And she's like, I did the assignment. I gave you a how-to paper. You said how to write a how-to paper, start with step one, (laughs) you know, and like ran through the whole thing. But this is the kind of thing, that's the kind of thinking that I want to see encouraged. That's the kind of, I'm thinking just from a research capacity. I literally just got off a new client call who said like, he wants his brand to be a blend of like, Batman, Wolf of Wall Street, and anime. And I was like, well, I don't know anything about anime. So I'm going to learn today. And so I'm not going to Google. I'm going to go to ChatGPT and say, give me a summary of why people are attracted to anime. What characteristics in these anime stories can we leverage to create a brand that accentuates the same type of vibe that's going to make sense for the person that knows it, but is not going to be so in the weeds that someone who knows nothing about anime like myself is going to feel like, oh, maybe this isn't for me. So use the tools to your advantage, 100%. play with it. I think make it make sense for you, but you have to know the right kind of questions. This isn't like taking everyone's jobs. It's creating new jobs. Thank you. Everybody will have a prompt engineer on their team in the future. Everyone will. And for things like copywriting, market research, social media, like there's just an infinite number of possibilities on how to leverage a tool. And I keep saying this too, it's like, calculators didn't put accountants out of business. So like, let's be real, like just because it can add up really large numbers doesn't mean that the accountants still aren't doing their jobs. They're just using the tool. And I completely agree with this because I was telling all of my website copy was made use with ChatGPT. And I was recently had a marketer. She was like, oh my God, I love your copy. It looks so good. I'm like, thanks, I use ChatGPT. And she was saying like, oh my God, when I use them, like it never gave me any of that type of good copy. I'm like, you have to know how to prompt it. Like, Think about it. It's just going to do what it told you to do. And I think going forward in the future, like you mentioned, every business is going to have either their own prompter and they're also going to have their own chat GPT in the business. So for instance, I'm going to have like a chat GPT bot, let's say, and they're already going to know my branding. They're already going to know 
the type of customer that I want to attract. They're going to know my sales. I'm like, based on that, in order to hit our goal for the next six months of the year, what do we need to do? How do we need to move forward? But they already have this information about me stored. And so they're kind of like another team player, like a co-pilot. Yeah. But they are in the team, probably in the meetings, listening what we're saying to be able to process it. I think it's just going to be to the point where it's like, it's embedded in the business. If you are smart, if you adapt fast, and it's going to be something that you can really use to catapult and really make a lot of money and also keep a lot of money because there's a lot more financial AI that's coming into play where it's telling you like, okay, here's your debt. And based on your debt repayment, how much you owe, and based on how much you make, here's a debt repayment plan. Here's a debt repayment strategy. Here's how it's going to be so smart now where it's like, I will be able to use it now to say, okay, how do we have a budget that's for sure going to work for this type of client? And so we'll be able to use it now when we be able to create financial projections and budgets that are actually way more accurate. Because as a human, there's so many things that we didn't see. There's so many different things that were flawed. Now you have a bot that's like literally accurate 99% of the time. And you can be able to use that to your advantage to get better results for your clients. Someone who says ChatGPT doesn't give me good answers. All I want to say to them is, if you ask ChatGPT, what should I eat for dinner? What do you think it's going to tell you? <laughs> like, of course, it's not going to consider if you had Chinese food for lunch yeah. <laughs> or if you only have pasta in your cabinet. Like, you need to give it some context here. Just saying, what should I eat for dinner? You're not giving it any information to go off of. So I think if you think about your prompt engineering in that way of like, you can't just ask the first blanket question without context. But if you give it context, like, hey, ChatGPT, I had Chinese food for lunch. I know I need more protein and fiber in my dinner. And in the fridge, I've got eggplant, zucchini, spinach, and chicken cutlets. What recipe can I make with what I've got? Then we're talking. Now we're cooking here, right? Now we've got the information to be able to give you a qualified suggestion. But without the information, like, you're setting yourself up for failure with AI, at least with ChatGPT, at least. So I think that's what we're talking about with this kind of like prompting. I love the idea of using it for budgets. I love the idea for using it for financial plans. I think it makes so much sense. And I'm super happy to hear that you're so on board with it. No, I love it. Like, it's so funny. Me and my brother, every week, we'll sit down and have like a meeting about ChatGPT. I'm like, here's what I did this week with it. Like, it's just so crazy because, or we'll just sit and watch videos about it. And I highly recommend that. Every business owner, no matter how bad it scares you, you need to learn AI. It's going to be part of the way we live. It's going to be equivalent to just having an iPhone. Like we're all going to be using it or it's going to be used in our worlds at some level. So you might as well be the person that becomes good at it and use it to your advantage to be able to hit your income goals or just any goals within your business. And if you don't want to, then go be a yoga teacher, you know? <laughs> like we still need those too. Go be a teacher. We need more teachers now than ever. Oh yeah. We need teachers. We need nurses. We need people that can do things that like, if the AI stuff is not your cup of tea, then I think of those industries, they're going to use AI too. So, <laughs> I was just going to say, Harvard just came out yesterday and said that their computer class next semester is going to be taught by a computer. I love that. So it's going to be taught by a bot. I'm not sure if they're the first college to do it, but it's Harvard. So they set the standard, they set the trends for the colleges to come and to imagine their classes being taught by a computer. So I don't know. I mean, I think that teachers, obviously, it's going to be, I am a teacher, but I am more so a data prompter. So I teach my class, but I really prompt the bot with all of the information and the full curriculum. I prompt the bot with empathy for each student, things like that. So I think it won't be the same teachers. It will be which teacher knows AI the best and which teacher is the best prompter. That's who's probably going to be here long term. I can totally imagine like 50 years from now, us telling the youth, and saying like, well, when we were in college, we used to have to buy textbooks. 
and you'd have to buy the new edition of the textbook because the professor wrote it. It was getting a kickback on the book that they wrote and the information was going to be outdated in six months. Like that whole model is getting completely upended and like it should. It should. I'm going to say we never agreed with that anyway. Like I feel like our generation was always like, this is so inefficient. Like I feel like our generation always thought that. And it's now that we're using our brains and technology to say, okay, this is the world that we wanted to live in while we were younger, but now we're able to actually do it. Oh my gosh. I love all of it. Oh, this was such a good conversation. I knew we were going to cover this topic so fast. Us two fast talkers. I know, right? If you had to listen to this episode on 0.5 speed, please share to your stories and tag us. Because <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot of good information. I know, two fast talking people. This is crazy. But I'm happy I'm not the only one. Usually I'm the only person talking fast. So at least this is a two-way street. Oh, stupid fast. Have you ever done like a word count on how fast you talk? No. Oh my God, no. I'd be scared too. Okay. So if I've taken a transcript of the podcast before and the timing. And I said, on average, how fast do people talk? The average is about 100 words a minute. My average is about 350 words a minute. Please send me mine if it shows you mine. Yes, we'll have to work it out and see. It'll be a contest now of who's got it faster. (laughs) (laughs) Amazing. Well, Shay, where can everyone find you, follow you, get more information and take advantage of some of these great masterclasses and offerings that you have? Yes. So if you want kind of like an introductory to business finance, if you want to cover kind of what we talked about business banking, as well as pricing your services and really how to be able to make money, but also keep it within your business. I have a masterclass called Financial Foundations. You can find that over on my Instagram, Center Financial, as well as I'm on TikTok, Shay in Finance. I love it. Thank you so much for your time. And thanks so much for talking to everybody today. We'll catch you next time, guys. Bye. Bye. Thank you. Thanks for joining us for the Kiss My Aesthetic podcast. Don't forget to follow along and leave us a review anywhere you listen to podcasts. We'll see you in the Kiss My Aesthetic Facebook group for years and years of behind the scenes content and over 5,000 connections with fellow creatives. For show notes from today's episode, please visit mkwcreative.co slash podcast. This episode was edited by Berta Wired and theme music comes from Eliza Vera and Nathan Menard. Catch you next time.